Are you interested in indigenous issues? Do you get ticked off with ongoing colonization? Do you have something to say? Or do you want to learn more? We have just the thing. Join UBC's first ever Indigenous Radio Collective at CITR Radio, Unceded Musqueam Territories. Our show, Unceded Airwaves, airs every Monday from 11 to 12, and we meet from 12 to 1 to plan our upcoming shows. We're interested in content covering various things from film to literature, current day politics, history, whatever you want to talk about, we're into it. Everyone welcome, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. that we are broadcasting live on Musqueam, on unceded Musqueam and Coast Salish territory here on the UBC campus in Vancouver. Um, the Real World is the UBC Film Society's radio show where we try to connect with other clubs and campus organizations through film. Um, today we're going to be continuing um, our interview with Nettie Wilde, the director of Konolina, our land um, which is a really, really beautiful um, film about um, the Tatlan community and the issues that they're facing there. Dom's going to talk a little bit more about that. Yes. Um, and we do want to um, make sure that everyone knows um, there's like some sensitive issues in um, that we're going to be discussing that are in the interview. So um, if you are sensitive to um, that kind of stuff, make sure that you take care of yourself. Um, so Dami, you want to you want to talk about our thing? Of course I want to talk about our thing. So if you tuned in last week, you started listening to uh, Nettie Wilde, the director of Kundalina, myself, and Oscar Dennis, who is a linguist uh, in the Talton community pursuing his PhD in linguistics. Um, and we were just talking about this documentary, which I'm going to kind of summarize for you. So the Northwest of BC um, has a problematic situation going on right now. So you have the Talton indigenous people living there, and you also have a bunch of miners coming in that want to mine like gold and diamonds specifically for, you know, making electronics and cool diamond rings and stuff. So they have a weird conflict of interest thing going on because some of the Talton people want the miners to be around because it brings jobs, it brings like, development in a way because they have like electricity coming in and some really like good development stuff for the community but on the other hand they're also like destroying part of the land because mining is just a destructive industry there's no way to get around that so the great thing about this documentary is that Nettie just goes in and shows you everything there's no voiced narration there's no trying to lead the viewer towards one opinion or the other it's just showing you what's going on and what uh what Nettie kept telling me during the interview if you listened last week you may have noticed is that she was consistently trying to find the poetry in everyone's relationship with the land so whether it was the miners the Telton miners or the Telton uh, activists that were against the mine were seeing the poetry in everyone that is involved with the land. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful documentary that will be in the Vancouver International Film Festival on October 3rd 
at 6.30 p.m. Um, also in the Van City Theater on October 9th at 12.30 p.m. And there's going to be a two-week run at Van City Theater again starting on October 28th. So you should definitely go down. Not only is it beautifully shot, it's just like it's so a fantastically gorgeous. shot film, but just the different stories that it brings out is amazing. And one of like my favorite things about this interview is that I was able to meet one of the main characters of the story, who is Oscar, the linguist. Um, and we do see his struggle to preserve this language that is uh, endangered because there's just such little amount of people that still speak it. And we kind of delve into his relationship with his father, which is really interesting. So... Yeah, are we ready to kind of go into the interview? Yeah, we're actually going to start. We're going to play um, a song by an indigenous uh, indigenous woman. Um, I hope I'm not saying her name wrong um, or their name wrong. Isque. Um, the song is called Sometimes. So enjoy that. Um, then there'll be an ad and then we're going to go right into the interview. Awesome. So enjoy. Sometimes it's easier to walk away like we've never known, known struggle when we stay. Sometimes it's easier living day by day and moving on and on we go so far away. Justify. 
Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theater, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theater, visit their website at www.riotheater.ca. This is Nettie Wild, and I'm the director of Conalina, Our Land Beautiful. My name is Oscar Dennis. I'm one of the central characters in the documentary. You describe it as a cinematic poem. The linemen are seeing it as a poem. The miners are seeing it as a poem. The Taliban are seeing it as a poem. So I feel like all sides that have been involved in this are taking this as a poem. They're seeing different poems, though. That's yeah. the thing that's really interesting. I don't think I've ever made a movie more where, depending if there's 300 people watching the movie, there's 300 different movies going on <laughs> in the room. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Was your intention to remain just impartial and just let the story tell itself? It's not impartial. There is a point of view in the film. The point of view is that everyone has a relationship to the land and that there's poetry in what everybody does. And given the fact that good poetry can be full of darkness and contradictions. And that is a point of view. To be open to various different aspects of that is what I think leads people to, to say that, you know, there isn't a point of view or that it's impartial. Mm -hmm. So there's an attempt to be fair-minded. Yeah. There's an attempt to get rid of our assumptions as filmmakers when we were filming people. But to be really honest, when we first started out, it was a confused start because I only knew a couple of things clearly. One, I have a passion for the Northwest. It's a landscape and a people that really, really speaks to me. And therefore, I wanted to do something that was meaningful. The other is that I'm tired of movies that tell me over and over again that the world's coming to an end and smart people telling me what to do. And I thought, maybe my audience is too. And the other, the third thing was... I've made films about these similar kind of issues before. It was really time for me to turn a corner as an artist and find another language. It was as we were making the film, that the film at the risk of sounding like a hippie, the film started to tell me and us what it wanted. And I can tell you it's hard because everybody was telling me to turn off the camera. And so it forced us. My, my director of photography, my editor, we're going, good. You know, it's forcing you to embrace this in a different way you know you yes. said you wanted to make a piece of art go make a part a piece of art don't go and make some news and, and that's what art is about i'm, I'm a flint napper i could make uh, spearheads out of obsidian and whenever i'm doing any work i set out with a plan but it's the material that manifests itself there's a piece in the in the stone even as i'm going along the end result reveals itself on its own. And I think that's what happens when everyone blocked you. And, and that's the way I look at art anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I think you have to open up other channels. And boy, this film and the situation really, really forced me to open up other channels. I mean, there was really literally a time when the person who was leading the protest against the mine insisted that I use my truck as uh, part of the blockade. And if not, I lost access. So I explained to her that I couldn't do that. And she said, well, you have to do what you want to do and you, you don't have access. And all of a sudden, I don't have any access to the protest. And the mining company wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. And so in that moment, all the more journalistic questions 
that avenue was cut off. And so, um, you know what they say, they say that the best art is actually the answer to challenges. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly had my challenges. Why did you feel like now was the right time to start making a movie like Conalina, to start challenging yourself and opening up these new channels when like before you've, you've worked like on a very global scale, slowly you've been becoming more local. Well, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. Yeah. And I think it's a nice dance. I think there's a couple of things. One is, over the years, I've had the very real pleasure and honor of getting to know the Northwest and some of the people up there. And so I have a passion for it. And it is, right now, on the cusp of real change. This is a magnificent, what we refer to as wilderness. In Oscar's language, there isn't even a word for wilderness. Whatever you want to call it, change is happening. So there was an immediacy there. And as an artist, uh, the question was, what can, I, what can I bring to this? And then um, as a 64-year-old artist, it was time to change up. A while ago, I decided if I was going to stay in this game, which is a hard one, that um, I was going to do two things. I was going to formally, every project, I wanted to formally move into new territory for me and work with new people. And it's been a dynamite combo. And that's what uh, led to this. And I'd already made Blockade, which was another film, which was yeah. another, another First Nations people to the south of the Tall Tan. They're dealing with logging. The Tall Tan are dealing with mining. You know, it's, it's dealing with land development. And I, I, it was really important to me that I really love Blockade, but as an artist, I'm going to have to tell this story in a different way. And how do you feel about the way that the story is told, you being Oscar. <laughs> I like it. Before it was done, Nitty shared with me what she wanted to do, which was to have people decide for themselves. I find it really interesting because not only is there a, is there a, a range of perspectives with the non-Taltan audience, even among the Taltan there's a, there's a range. And I participated a lot in, in, in this film. Like, like in the beginning, like I told her when she came to me, I said, you know, like I want to just be another talking head here because I, I don't even watch the stuff that that I've done for the protest because I was basically dictating to everybody how it should be, and that's what they wanted. But I still wasn't involved. I wasn't interested because I've been interested in other projects, and a lot of it was based on the resistance. So I had a specific role to either be this romanticized person, noble savage, or to be this activist. And I don't even consider myself an activist. Mm -hmm. I, I just consider myself resisting colonialism. It wasn't until I seen the footage that where she captured this amazing thing that I got involved. So I knew, you know, what she was hoping to capture, and she did. She got what she wanted in the end, and uh, I think it's amazing. In the movie, for me, when Oscar says, it's a really pivotal movie, point in the movie where he says, I don't know if there's a place for me up here anymore. And he says this landscape, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but this landscape is really changing. It's becoming an industrial wasteland. But then he pauses and then he says, but we need the mine. I tell you, I could have kissed him at that point mm -hmm. because in Oscar, we had the contradiction, the push-pull. Yeah. If you only have that one voice... You have dogma. If you only have pushing for development or pushing for no development, you've just got dogma. Even as an audience, like you know, like we're audience as well. You know, even though we worked on the, on this project, 
that happened for me with when, when this young man, the diamond driller, was talking about his contradictory. You know, he said, this puts food in my children's mouth. And, uh, and I watched his pride in his work. Like, you could see his pride in his work. And I'm proud of the work that I've, that, that I've done with Nettie. I'm proud of the work that I do on the land. I'm proud of the work that I do with my language. So I could relate to this guy. And even though, you know, there was a point in my life where I would have thrown him off. You know, like when I was angry about it all way back years ago. But uh, as an audience, he w it, what he had to say was my turning point. What I had to say was just listening to myself talk. <laughs> so how did you convince them to let you in? To let well, you I didn't. Go? I mean, I got closed out of the blockade. But Oscar's mom actually was the first tall town to open her heart. And the way she did it was we went out for a walk up in this beautiful area called the Calpan, which is their area where the folks up there hunt and, and it's their traditional territory. Well, the whole works is their traditional territory. But. Yeah. And we went out for a walk and we were looking for a bear. And we'd seen some and it was a beautiful day and we were way out in this beautiful, what I call wilderness. And we were sitting down and I'd only known this woman for a very short period of time. And I realized that she wasn't responding. I was talking to her and she'd curled up and gone to sleep beside me. And I thought, okay, <laughs> this woman is comfortable enough <laughs> to conk out. And there we were, there I was with Mary sound asleep in this beautiful wilderness. So that was Mary opening herself, you know. Oscar's dad, depending on the day, either kicks me out of the house and says, what are you doing and how much are you making as a, a filmmaker off our stories or welcomes me? You know, he's moving also in and out of Alzheimer's, but it also is metaphoric for how I think how a lot of people in the community so the treat the me. So the hunting actually was, I really wanted to go hunting with the family who was on the blockade. And so when they said no to the blockade, the hunting went out the window too. I was up the creek. So I sent out messages and Mary said, talk to my brother, Orville. And so Orville says, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take you hunting. But then he goes, there's no moose. I said, well, that's over on Isket's side. And this is where it gets into a different way of seeing, right? And I'm going, well, come over here. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm sure there's lots of people in Isket who can take you hunting. The subtext was, I don't want to take you hunting on other people's territory. But he didn't say it that way. And then finally, I convinced him to take me hunting. So then I meet with him and I show up with my crew. And he goes, who are those people? It's my camera crew. <laughs> I don't want to have, I, I'm going hunting. I don't want to have all that bunch, right? An hour and a half later, finally, we're off hunting, right? And we go up to this area, which is in Iska, not in his territory. So he's already a little grumpy. So we head up there. And then as we're driving up, there's his car. And in his pickup, there's my cameraman's in the back seat with me. My sound recorder is in his, the back of his truck. And my uh, camera assistant is driving our truck with all our gear. And we're going up into this beautiful, beautiful area. And I kid you not, the biggest bull moose on the planet shows up. His, he's like this. He's so huge, he's casting a shadow, right? So Orval and his, and his um, nephew, Elliot, go stop the truck, go pounding out of the truck. They line it up. And my cameraman goes to follow, except for the baby locks go on in the truck. And he can't get out of the back seat. So then he 
tries to jump into the front seat and gets hung up with all the headrests. So there is Van trying to extricate himself from the truck and the camera system gets out of our truck to help him and our car alarm goes off. No! <laughs> so he hears, and Orbert turns around and goes, fucking white guys, what are you doing? And of course, the world's biggest moose takes off. So we are now totally in the doghouse, right? And he's absolutely, Orville is absolutely pissing on this poor camera assistant who is mortified. So finally we turn off this screaming truck and we're going along and I'm just going, please God, please bring another moose, right? <laughs> and after about 15 minutes, Elliot goes, there's a moose. And so they line up to shoot this moose and they shoot it and it's a female moose with a baby. And I'm going, I don't care. It's fine. It's a moose. <laughs> I know my, my crew is horrified, but professional enough to keep their lips zipped. Yeah. And it was one of those moments where you go, park your horror. Your job is to find the poetry in the moment. Embrace what you think are contradictions and be open to surprises. And so that whole hunt then leads into this extraordinary scene where they butcher the uh, animal and it takes like five hours and I kind of originally anticipated that the mining would be the controversial scene but of course there's the whole business about hunting we've given people pause and we are dealing with a contemporary slash traditional culture these are people who are hunting for very very different reasons than the non-native community mm -hmm. and I think people get it they may not like it but they're getting it, and they're getting it on a visceral level. In, in this culture, the baby is called a veal, right? Yeah. It's called veal. Yeah. You know, it's just that you don't see the process. Mm. But then again, and then when you show the footage to my mom, she said something about the fact that... In oh, this yeah. Area, so that was the first... Then I go back to, to Mary, and I actually I asked her to... I said, hey, Mary, what do you think about the fact that Orville killed a female moose? And she said, did he get the baby too? That was the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the answer to my question. And then she said... God damn it, he's on our territory. So there I am, you know, stumbling around. Mm. <laughs> and uh, those are the dynamics, because when everyone's watching it, like when she showed it in this, and I'm sure the people in Telegram <laughs> felt it as well, you know, felt what he felt when she invited him over. Because when you were sitting there in Iskut, and then he's killing the moose in our area, you feel it. What is he doing there? You know, like, <laughs> killing our moose, you're thinking at the same time. And it gets even more complicated, because technically it's not my area. But that's where I was raised. My mom, it's not my mom's area either. She became a matriarch in this community, one of the matriarchs, and she has a whole bunch of grandchildren, and it's become her area. So even technically saying that it's our area, it's not, and there's just so much politics and culture all mixed into, you know, the emotions and everything when we're watching it at home. And as a non, and the non-native audience doesn't hear or see any of it, mm -hmm. right? because of the cognitive landscape yeah. right they just yeah. Yeah. are not there they can't it's a different movie yeah. and, and that's totally that's the, different that's movie. why it's why the title is so significant to the movie you know like it, it, it all goes back to that mm -hmm. uh, even like the, the point there's a spot for Iliad and said you have your hunting license yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and normal chuckles and he, he's almost shocked at the question he was kind of dumbfounded he kind of chuckled and some people don't get it because like we say, this is our hunting license. Yeah. We don't need a hunting license. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Oscar, when he says this, he's pointing to his skin. It's exciting. And in the making of it, you know, I mean, really and truly, 
it would be a complete lie to say that I had some kind of searing vision at the beginning and we ended up realizing it. It was a completely collective process that involved the people in the movie being generous enough and brave enough to let us in, or in Orville's case, patient enough. <laughs> and also a, an astounding film crew. When we show that film up north, the room is electric and full of laughter because they see the humor as it's threaded through the butcher scene, right? In the south, it's dead quiet in the theater and a lot of people are looking at it through their hands. Two ways of seeing, you know, a million different movies. And the kind of final comment that I just really would like to reinforce that um, Oscar brought up is that one of the big problems in making a documentary and filming real life and making a long form documentary is that it does take years to shoot and years to cut. And people are used to the instant nature of citizen journalism, of the news, of um, films that come out a heck of a lot faster than mine, mine do. I always said if I, if I made the news, it would take a lot longer to make. And so consequently, it's an odd dynamic because when you're actually shooting and when you need that kind of buy-in and intimacy, for a long time you don't have it because people have no idea what you're up to. They have no idea of how to, to judge you. And it's only later when the film comes out and they see it, or in Oscar's case, if he has the curiosity to look at the process, you get buy-in. I have to say that until you get that buy-in, it's a very, very lonely process, you know, because I go in with the best of intentions, but, you know, clattering around with all the trappings of an outsider and making all the mistakes that you do. And it's the one part I not totally in love with is that loneliness mm -hmm. it's very difficult but in the end I guess it's the price of admission I don't make a huge amount of money doing this but there are perks and the major one is with every film I've made one or two lifelong friendships and in Oscar's case that's certainly a really extraordinary friendship um, and with his mum and with Harvey you know, with with Heidi. Heidi. You know, these are these Orville. are uh, with Orwell. Yeah, these are people who it means a lot to me. When they come into the city, they stay at my house. You know, and you've seen it. It's modest. That means a lot to me. And when I go up into their territory, I have friends, and that means something. Last night, I left the bar. I was thirsty, and I don't drink wine. I was desperate. I needed blood. I turned to the only place I could. The only place that could possibly help me. Hello, Canadian Blood Services. Hello. I need some blood. Positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm sorry, we're all out of A positive and negative. Would you like some O instead? No. No, that won't do. Thank you. Good night. Save me. Save yourself. Give blood. Voluntarily. 
This message was brought to you courtesy of the Canadian Blood Services and CITR Radio 101.9. Every year, the Vancouver International Film Festival brings a revelry of cinephilia to Vancouver. This year, Viv features over 300 films airing between September 29th and October 14th, with an opening gala featuring Eisling Walsh's Maudie and a closing gala featuring Terrace Malick's Voyage of Time. Billions of years in the making. For its 35th year, VIF will be expanding the frame, emphasizing social interaction, workshops, and audience feedback. Find the complete program for this year's VIF online at viff.org. Experience VIF 2016 this September 29th to October 14th.
Hi, and welcome back to The Real World with Dama and Dora on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, we just played several things. Um, we con- we finished, we kind of concluded an interview with Nettie Wilde um, and Oscar... Oscar Dennis. Oscar Dennis um, about the movie Conalina, Kona- Our Land Beautiful, which Nettie produced, wrote, directed... All the things. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, the first part of that we played last week, um, so check out our podcast on CITR 101.9 FM slash radio slash the real world. Um, yeah, and make sure to go watch Conalina at oh, the yeah. International Film Fest because it's going to be amazing. It's playing on Monday the 3rd and Sunday the 9th. Um, check out the VIF website for more infor- information on that. Um, it's such a beautiful movie. Everyone should go see it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, you also, we just played um, Golden featuring Sierra Jamerson um, by T-Rhyme, um, a female indigenous um, hip-hop artist off of her album Diary of a Mad Red Woman. Beautiful album. Everything's great about it. Um, so we're just going to have a little conversation about Conalina and then indigenous representation in film. And yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, definitely. So at the start of the show, you kind of heard me really fangirling about this documentary, which is weird because I don't really like documentaries that much. It's not that I don't like them. I just don't watch them a lot, I guess. So when I kind of when this was pitched to me, I was like, yeah, let's do it because it sounds interesting. And then I started watching it and I was just immediately entranced. I don't know if it's the cinematography that got me into it or just like the fact that it's just such an interesting portrayal of everything that's going on. But I was kind of immediately hooked. So when I got to interview Nettie, that was amazing. <laughs> and I was so jealous because I had class um, when we were when we were slotted to interview her. Yeah. And Dama came back and was like, she's amazing. <laughs> like, we, I love her so much. Um, so I was very jealous. And the interview, she's so beautiful. Everything she says yeah. is gorgeous and poetic. Um, and I thought the film was great. Also, um, I feel like the cinematography really drew me in. Mm-hmm. But... She did a really interesting thing. It is a documentary, and a lot of documentary is narr- like narrated, yeah. like kind of I don't know, almost sterile. But she really brings you in. It's so personal and so close. And the narrator, um, arguably, would be the cinematography and the nature and the shots that she uses to kind of, um, I don't know, like guide the yeah. the audience's experience of the film and the story that she, the stories that she's telling because she does. It is kind of, like, about the minors, and, like, yeah. it's more about the Tatlan community's, like, tension with development and maintaining their kind of way of life yeah. um, while also using technology and the development to supplement that. And each of the storylines are just so beautiful. Like, the visuals are beautiful. The stories themselves are engaging as as hell <laughs> like so so good um i cannot say enough good amazing things about this film oh, yeah i think uh about the storyline specifically like they're so varied so you get uh very contemporary Taltan people like uh oscar who's just like very technology savvy like very into like what some consider the developed world but he's still struggling with all these contradictions that you get with, like, feeling that his land is being destroyed and feeling like it's turning into an industrial wasteland. But he also understands the necessity of bringing in certain things. Whereas, on the other hand, you get, like, uh, Heidi, the hunter, who is just, like, upset because she, like, 
her business is kind of going down because the miners are there and causing too much noise so the so the animals are running away so you get like a lot of different points of view yeah and each of them are seen as just as valid it's a great cross-section of the perspectives on the issues that nelly's talking about yeah so um yeah i think it's one of the central things dora already touched upon is that like it is the land and the cinematography that's narrating it. So if you're like, oh, I don't like documentaries because they're so boring. It's like, this one is... Conalina, Our Land Beautiful is not boring. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. I don't 100% consider it a documentary. I think it's more no, like oh, yeah. an experience. It's more like a work of art, the way that it's set out. Yeah. It's all just a cinematic poem <laughs> as it is described as Nettie describes it i would say it's like almost like a visual diary like yeah. a really beautifully shot and like edited and painstaking diary yeah. and like journal of the this experience and these issues it's so good i think it's like that's a really good way to put it thank you so yeah, you should definitely go see it. Yeah, and it's playing at VIF, and then it also is having a two-week run um, starting on October 28th at Van City Theatre. 100% check it out. <laughs> yeah. We cannot stress enough how, how much we love this film. Yeah, we just don't want to say too much so that you, like, will go in and just know everything. Yeah. So I think with that, we're ready to kind of move on to the other movies and shows that we watched this week yeah so i'm just well i'm just gonna preface um what we're gonna go into right now so over the summer i don't know if you guys listened to our um show at all but we did um kind of like a a theme yeah um almost um episode every week so we'd watch a director or an actor or a specific genre of film and each of us would watch different movies and not tell each other what we watched and then discuss our thoughts on it um, so this week, um, kind of like in the theme of Conalina, um, and just like important representation in general, we watched um, films that showcased an an idea of indigenous lifestyle. Yeah, um, we do want to give a very important disclaimer that neither of us are indigenous. Um, very white, like painfully white. Very. So that will cut. Like color is a strong word, but that's just where our thoughts are coming from um we are obviously not obviously but we are trying to be as respectful and proud <laughs> proud of um the indigenous communities as possible yeah this is it's our points of view which are very limited and very limited That's yeah we're just gonna put that out there but we're still gonna talk because we can <laughs> <laughs> um can i go first of course you can okay so i actually had a great time with this project project <laughs> so i watched hunt for the wilder people um it's great it was so good i it's playing at the rio right now i know um but so I'd, i don't know how many of our listeners watch flight of the Conquerors, but one of the creators for that show was a maori um indigenous indigenous man um and he is so funny and he made this film about um a like foster problem child um this was like overweight maori kid who gets sent kind of like into the wilderness and then um complications happen and he and his um foster father are like wandering around the bush for a while and it was a really beautiful like it was such a beautiful film um just because it was so sweet i cried a little bit not gonna lie <laughs> um really really sweet like just like really like feel good but also the shots 
of the bush itself were so intricate and so interesting. And the, like, it was awesome because it, like, really normalized bush, like, bush living almost. Oh, that's awesome. Because, um, like, I don't know, there are so many movies, like, I know you, we were talking a little about The Revenant and how, oh. like, the point of the movie is oh. that he is living in the wild, which is, like, not interesting. <laughs> but in Hunt for the Wilder People, like, him and his uncle were living in the bush, but it, like, was not a big deal. Like, they, that's just, like, what they were doing, which was really cool. Um, and also the kid was so sweet. Like, it was, like, like really nice, um, like, strong, just, like, normalized. Like, n- yes, like, normal people. <laughs> like, it's, like... I think that's so, so important. Yeah, and, I know. And that's... I'm just gonna go ahead and link it back to Konalina again. That's one of the things I love about Konalina. Like, you see all of these different indigenous lifestyles and non-indigenous lifestyles, and they're all okay yeah they're all valid some of them are more traditional than others some of them are like super contemporary but that doesn't change the fact that they're still indigenous people and they're people like you don't need to separate it it's just people and it doesn't matter that they're different or not so yeah so important yeah um and it was such a strange contradiction to the other film that i watched um (laughs) it's a film from my childhood and i was excited to watch it because i remember um like i just remember that there were um there was like a pretty big indigenous I don't know, like, portion of this film. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, great, now I can rewatch it. It was Annie Get Your Gun, oh, um, which is not great. <laughs> the songs are awesome. It, go <laughs> go for the songs. And it female was, representation. Yeah, Annie Oakley is dope. Um, it was obscene. It was straight-up obscene. The indigenous um, characters, that's, like, in very strong scare quotes, um were just, like, red paint and, like, feather headdresses. That's what they wore 24-7, like, nonstop around all these white people with their petticoats and parasols. Um, Very exoticizing. Very much fetishizing fetishizing the indigenous culture and experience, which was really strange. And then there's this one song called I'm an Indian Too. No! Where, yeah, I know, it was so much. But Annie Oakley, um, she's like, I'm not, like, accepted by the circus or whatever. She's, like, with the Wild West show that she's touring with. Um, like, white people don't accept me, so I'm an Indian, too. Like, this is my new community. And it was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Where? <laughs> like, where does this sense of entitlement come from? Because it's really just, like, so uncomfortable. Um <laughs> And, like, I watched that after Hunt for the Wilder People, and the whole time I was just like, why is this happening? <laughs> like, like, and it is, it was produced, like, I want to say, like, in the 40s, like, 30s and 40s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's a gap in that um, understanding, but my god like baby dora was absorbing this like this is so fun like uh uh-huh like i'm an indian too yeah but like also like there's a seat like the indigenous characters again scare quotes are jokes like they're like literally there to perpetuate comedy and not good comedy like falling off a horse like and like what like kind of like a shocked face like i don't get it like your culture's so different (laughs) But, like, not in, like, an appreciative way, in a ha-ha-ha, like, that's silly and barbaric kind of way. But you're really good marksman. Like, 
really, really strange and really uncomfortable. Oh, it sucks because this is like the childhood thing, and then it's just destroyed so many, so many things you believe. Yeah, a lot of films do not age well. Oh, baby Dora, poor baby Dora. But yeah, it was just like it was a really weird, it was a really weird comparison, like a forced. A forced parallel. Yeah, because you went, like, straight from one that was super, like, intricate and showing in various different ways how, like, it's actually great to be indigenous. Yeah. And this one is like, you're a joke. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was so so strange. But what'd you watch, Dama? Okay, so I've been very into this TV show, and I thought that this was actually really important for me to bring up. In this episode, so I'm gonna be talking about this TV show that I've been watching for a while called Mohawk Girls. So Mohawk Girls is directed and like produced and everything by Tracy Deer, and she's this uh, I think she's a Mohawk woman, definitely indigenous, and she actually directed a documentary where she followed the lives of three teenage Mohawk girls, um, and just kind of like in her own community where she grew up and she actually like ran away went to college in Dartmouth and was like I'm not coming back but then she came back to just revisit this culture that she had kind of run away from that she felt so oppressed in and she's just following the lives of these three girls and it's just so 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 interesting to see the dynamics that go on in this community and eventually this documentary was like the idea of it was brought into a comedy series so i have lots of things to say about this and i have lots of mixed feelings about this show so the way that it's set out it's basically a rom-com in a show a tv show form so fun (laughs) i don't like them so for me it was a struggle because it's like oh all about girls getting guys and seeing how it goes so like as a person that doesn't enjoy that I was really struggling through a lot of the premise of the show. But what it's about is I think it's four uh, women in the Mohawk community. They're not teenagers at this point. Uh, And it's not the same characters as the documentary. It's like four different women. And yeah, like you go through the types of relationships that they have in this community. So one of them, two of them actually, have grown up in the community I lied. It's three of them. Three of them have grown up. Have you in even the watched the show, Demo? Oh my god! No, it's because they're very different. So I have lots of different <laughs> things to say. So, three of the four grew up in this uh, reservation. Is that what they're called? This reservation. Yeah. Um, one of them is just like indigenous, super proud to be indigenous, always looking for an indigenous man to like be with her and have children with her and perpetuate that yeah, culture because it's all about them trying to like rebuild the mohawk nation because at this point it's like dwindling so one of them is just like completely set on repopulating the world with mohawks uh the other one is like a much less um indigenous looking like stereotypically indigenous looking woman so she's blonde she has lighter skin but like her parents are indigenous she's lived in the indigenous community the whole her whole life she's been a part of it like helping with a bunch of projects but she still like suffers from a, a sort of racism from the community because she just doesn't look indigenous enough whereas there's this other girl who again born and raised in the mohawk reservation 
but she just doesn't want to be there. So she sees this racism that goes on with her friends. She sees this, like, sexism that happens because all of the girls are, like, just living for having children with other men because that's, like, the pressure that they're under in order to repopulate this dwindling population. And she just hates it. So she goes out and tries to live outside of the reservation. And the fourth girl that comes in is, like, she looks very native, but her father is native and her mother is not. And she comes into the community and she's discriminated because she just hasn't lived in the reservation. So they don't consider her to be a Mohawk. And she's just struggling to kind of find her identity and how she can be a Mohawk because it's part of her roots, but still show that she doesn't appreciate a lot of the sexism and like stereotypes that are going on even within the the community itself so yeah a lot of the show is kind of dumb a lot of it is just like oh oh they tripped and then they accidentally kissed a guy they weren't supposed to kiss a lot of it is just is that an actual storyline from the show no okay i was gonna say that's ridiculous but there's a lot of like oh girls fighting over guys and I don't know, like, one of them struggles with her sexuality and, like, oh, I'm uh, into, like, some fetish stuff that I'm not sure my community will appreciate. So it's a lot about sexuality and just, like, relationships. So a lot of it, like, I can appreciate, but it's just not the type of thing I'm into watching. But if you... Yeah, sorry? It's, it's, I was going to say, it's cool that all those, um, like, kind of, like, identity crises can mm. exist within this, like, weird yeah. space. Yeah, so what I love about the show is that, like, sure, I need to kind of power through some of the bits that I'm like, oh, I wish these women could think of something other than mating with men. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, that's the whole point. Like, you get an insight into this community where there's so much pressure on the women to repopulate a nation like that is their purpose at some point so definitely um mohawk girls is amazing because it has some really interesting dynamics going on and you just get insight into the mohawk community that i obviously could never have thought of yeah so really amazing really great you should totally watch it (laughs) yeah it sounds awesome um i would say that like the most important thing about like indigenous representation or like even like this episode is like having like access to seeing like indigenous like actual issues mm-hmm. like it doesn't have to be like like i mean oscar noticed like the stereotypes don't have to be out there but yeah. like experiencing and like viewing not even experiencing but just like having witness to all these yeah. issues that are coming up um but that's about as much time as we have for this discussion um we just have a couple of things that we like want to plug really quickly and then we have a song for you guys um so american honey we're pretty into viff right now american honey is a film with um shia labeouf, shia LaBeouf. um so <laughs> we have two passes for wednesday october 12th at 12 30 um that we are raffling off um so check out our facebook page for more info about that that's the real world um citr 101.9 um there are posts, everything, all the info you need to know. Um, and then it hits theaters in Vancouver on October 14th. So it's kind of like a um, a sneak preview, um, which is exciting. And also, it looks really cool. Um, it yeah. looks, like, really interesting. Plus, it has Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, just, like, watch Shia LaBeouf be, like, dirty and hipster. <laughs> um, and then also, CITR um, has this thing with We Are X. Um, that's happening 
we have tickets that we're raffling off for that as well. Um, that's happening Saturday, October 1st, 2016 at 345 at the Vancouver Playhouse. Again, check out our Facebook page for more information about that. We'd love if you took them from us. It would be great. Yeah. And then we also have, last one, we swear, um, we have a VIF exchange voucher. Um, so this is really exciting because it's like a ticket to literally any movie playing any in VIF. movie. Yeah. So Including Conalina. <laughs> so yeah this could be our conalina tickets um but again check out our facebook page real world ZITR 101.9 fm um for more information about that um so thanks for tuning in and shout out to adrian brody Woo! um this is we're gonna be playing native feet superman by mariame um she's an indigenous canadian hip-hop artist so yeah enjoy that peace than just survivors tradition dreams that i've been chasing ambition breaking my I never settled for creating a vision of different living If it wasn't given from the risk you're missing my lyricism Listen, I'm hitting this play in the politic And on the RBC decisions of living in poverty You're hard to see my sovereignty It causing me to follow G.O.D. philosophy Constantly gossiping, no equality or harmony Can I get a job? No, you can't, you're not related Man, I hate to see it when I'm animated Get faded, a native away to say it So debated or play it Everything in life has a price in the spiritual You'll pay it, lay it down and spray the clouds with lyrical spiritual flow Just to let you know what's so much is, but you don't hear me, no, we keep on rocking and shocking, cause the time is ticking, talking, and we locking it down, till you open, we keep knocking, whoa.